This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And today we're talking about focaccia. Woo! You know, this is one of those episodes that we're recording remotely. We're both yeah. both in Seattle, but on different sides of town. And I am so sad because Matthew made a focaccia. Okay, so you should be it. sad because the focaccia I made is delicious. You should also be happy because I baked it in the studio, which oh. was already like 86 degrees. And I had the oven on at 450 for an hour. Oh. So think about what you're missing out on. Mm. How does it uh, how does it feel? Is it was the focaccia worth it? It kind of was because because it, it came out really well. OK, OK. All right. I mean, well, even so, gonna... so it, it wasn't like my day I ruined with the with the oven. It was it was Watzel's because it's her office also. And I was like, man, like, you know, I'm like make, put, making you put up with a lot for for my dumb podcast. But then she tasted the focaccia and she's like, it was all worth it. And oh. then she left. And I don't know if she's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't even show up for the taping today, so I can relate. <laughs> That's true. Okay. So today we're talking about focaccia, the Italian olive oily flatbread. Yep. Let's start out on memory lane. Okay. So I think focaccia is like a thing that reached the the average American consumer in the 90s and was very popular for a time. This checks not that out. It's, yeah, not that it's not still popular, but I remember like in the early 90s, I think like maybe at Hot Lips Pizza or maybe like one of the delis in Portland, like Elephant's Delicatessen. I started getting focaccia and really enjoyed it. It was like super thick and fluffy, probably had some rosemary or other herbs in there and uh, and lots of olive oil. And I was like, this is the new bread for me. You know, it's interesting. I was about to say that I feel like focaccia arrived in the early 90s along with northern Italian food. Absolutely. But, fo- but focaccia is not from northern Italy. Is, is right? The- I don't actually know where. So it's the, the well, like kind of Puglia focaccia we eat. Basilicata, those are further south. That's southern Italy. But the the American, the focaccia that we are most likely to get, that you're most likely to see outside of Italy, period, is, is Ligurian focaccia, which is okay. central Italy. You know what? Let's look at a map of Italy. You Let's look pull at a map up? of Italy. Map okay. of Italy. Oh, no. Genoa, northern Italy. Look at oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, here are the provinces. Okay. Where is Liguria? 
It's like it's like in the armpit there. <laughs> that's that's how I, they describe it wow. locally. I'm now going to be just a hero in Italy for describing Genoa as the armpit. Oh yeah, okay. So that is solidly northern Sol- Italy. Northern Italy. So like I mean, okay, like, okay. You know, leavened flatbreads, popular. I mean, I was going to say throughout Italy, popular pretty much throughout the world for sure. Um, and we're going to talk about a lot of regional variations on focaccia, but the kind that that people outside of Italy tend to think of, like kind of a you know one inch thick, very, very like very bubbly lots of olive oil and probably some fresh herbs kind of focaccia, Ligurian. Okay, so this kind of swept into the U.S. around the same time that Northern Italian restaurants got really big. I mean, yeah, I remember fresh this. pasta. Totally. Um, what else? Totally. I feel like like um, risotto. Well, things that didn't involve red sauce. So yeah, yeah. risotto, uh, fresh pasta with non-tomatoy sauces. Yeah, I'm making risotto for dinner tonight, and I'm excited because it's going to be like fresh asparagus risotto, but also kind of dreading it because do you remember that day we made, we boiled macaroni and cheese and it got so like hot and sweaty in the studio that we died? Oh my God, I think that, I think that was when I put an ice pack down my shirt. I think so. Yeah. And we've been ghosts ever since. Okay, but hold on, uh, because I'm a ghost with a memory, so I'm not done with my memory lane. Uh, I mean, that's sort of what ghosts are all about, right? That's true. Ghosts are like you know, you know the pro- the the old saying: a ghost never forgets. <laughs> Okay, well, hang on. Yeah. Anyway, I remember focaccia showing up as being uh, this thing that would come out to the table if you were very lucky at a northern <laughs> Italian restaurant. Yeah, they would roll. Out. They would roll a twenty-sided die, and if they got a natural twenty, <laughs> you no, got focaccia hold, at the table. Hold on, hold on. Um, <laughs> no, if you were at a northern Italian restaurant, you know when you do you remember when this when this like became a thing when they would bring out bread with olive oil with a little like drop of balsamic in it. Of course. Do you remember this? This was like revolutionary yes. uh, in American restaurants in Absolutely. the 90s. Absolutely. If you were very lucky, the bread that they brought out was focaccia. I'm so if, glad you mentioned that because it, it prompted more memory lane. If you were not lucky, it was one of those like sort of more everyday Italian breads that's like doesn't maybe have enough salt and is like just <laughs> Oh, kinda, oh yeah, Tuscan, Tuscan bread. There we go. So I think that was my first introduction to focaccia was in restaurants like that. Then when I went to California to go to college, so you know Acme Bakery in Berkeley? Yes, you know I that do. one? Okay. I don't so, know why I, I mean, pronounced yes, yes, but yes. Yes. <laughs> so when I went off to college, this would have been 1997, I remember the first year that I was there at Stanford. I, I've talked before about getting really into reading the San Francisco Chronicle food section on yes, Wednesdays. Yes, of course. But of course, you know, I was like learning what, what all the good bakeries were. And Acme at the time was like the, would you say it was the Acme of bakeries? Um, yeah, they were like, sometimes they would like put a closed sign in the window because they were, they were <laughs> off, like trying to blow up a road runner. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was the worst fucking dad joke I've ever made. <laughs> okay. But anyway, they made this bread called uh, an herb slab. One, one dad and- in our audience really laughed at that. <laughs> and I'm using the term in a non-gendered way. They made this bread called an herb called an herb slab. And I remember it as being like a focaccia, but less oily. It had rosemary in it, a good amount of salt, and it was a 
thick and bubbly flatbread. Mm-hmm. However, I just looked it up today to confirm that it was a focaccia. And no, it is more closely related to a fugace, which is a different kind of flatbread. Yeah, and I think I not as oily. I at it, though. And like, it doesn't, it doesn't have like the, the like bubbly top of a focaccia because they flip it. Yeah. But like, it's, it's not an unrelated thing. But it, I don't think it has as much olive oil. I mean, okay. focaccia feels like it is a, a vessel for olive oil. Sure. Okay, a couple more of my memory lane tributaries. Uh, so I, I was re- reminded do when you, you said hold that- hold on, Matthew. Yeah. Do uh, I think memory lane is a river? Yes. Well, is memory lane a river? And if so, how do you navigate it? Do you have gondolas? I've got, I've got hella gondolas. <laughs> I mean- I mean do you think they have focaccia in Venice, and therefore we can do a little gondola tie-in here with with the gondoliers? We're going to talk about focaccia veneziana. We should, yeah, we should for On sure do a link. do a tie-in. What what uh, what are like the terms of this? Tie- like, are, do we get a free trip to Venice? <laughs> I, you know, I was just. This is like one of those bits that like the math was never going to work out. <laughs> unlike unlike my hilarious <laughs> coyote and roadrunner bit, yeah. that totally adds up. Yeah. Okay. Go um, on. I drank I drank a bunch of matcha right right before hopping into the studio here, and I think you can probably tell. Mm. Um. Okay. What was I? What was I saying? No idea. <laughs> okay. So you said you're lucky if, if like, you get focaccia coming to the table at a northern Italian restaurant. There is a restaurant in West Seattle called La Rustica that Lori and I used to go, like, for special occasions, like an anniversary, like when we were first living in Seattle – maybe 2000-ish and it's still it's still there and i guarantee nothing about it has changed except the prices cuz it's the kind of place where they would never change the menu and their their house bread was focaccia it was great wait and this is in west seattle yeah oh god i can't believe i've never heard of it i mean west seattle is like another town but this sounds delightful it is delightful, yes. And then the other, my other focaccia memory lane is that around near the beginning of the pandemic, teenager of the show December decided that they wanted to uh, to start doing some baking. And the two things that they that they made kind of their signatures were focaccia and fugas. Wow, <laughs> Matthew, you raised them right. That's right. Well done. Um, and I well think done. Like, I definitely. I, I once made for sure the uh, Cooks Illustrated. They had a uh, their first focaccia recipe that they published. I think had like mashed potatoes in it, or maybe like instant mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. Not necessary. I mean, okay. it's fine, but yeah, okay. So uh, hold on. So let's talk about what this stuff is. Yeah, let's start by bringing in our friend Mr. Etymology. Oh, here he comes. Okay, so focaccia comes from the Latin word focus, which means hearth. Uh, so it is a hearth-baked bread. Is that what – so focus originally referred to a hearth? Yeah, because you all, like, like, sit around and focus on it. I wish that, I wish that like, the hearth were more a focus of our days these days. I mean, you have – I was going to say you have a fireplace. We also have a fireplace. <laughs> um, I, just, I just forgot about it because we ne- we've never successfully used it. Wait, but- you guys have been there, like, 15 years. <laughs> Uh, no, we, we've been there 19 years. Um, well, 18 and uh, it'll be 19 this summer. And uh, what do you mean you've never successfully used it? <laughs> Have you unsuccessfully used it? Yeah, like one time we we I think we like tried it out and didn't know, weren't sure whether the flu was open and it was not. 
So, <laughs> so, uh, so we, we had to we had to put it out with a fire extinguisher. Really? Yes. Oh wow. Okay. Um, so then we we never tried it again, but I think it works. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to like. It's hard. To, it's hard to think about it today when it's like eighty six degrees. Yeah. Uh, but maybe someday. Anyway, like we could still sit around it as if as if it were the focus. As if it were the focus. Yeah. We, we kind of sit near it and play cards sometimes. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. Great. What What are you going to do to make the hearth th- once again the focus of your home? Mm. You know, spit roast something in there? <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, maybe, you know, I don't know, toast some marshmallows. We've toasted marshmallows in our fireplace. That is definitely like focusing on the hearth. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is ancient Roman tradition there. It sure is. Uh, so this is uh, the same the same root as the word fugas in French, which refers to a somewhat different bread, but still a flatbread. Okay. Uh, fugas is the one, the one that gets like pulled apart, so it's got holes in it. Mm-hmm. In Liguria, it's called fugasa. And in Puglia and Basilicata in southern Italy, ficazze. Okay. Um, and in Tuscany, it's called uh, schiacciata, which means like smashed, I think. Hmm. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the smashing aspect, mm-hmm. which is very mm-hmm. fun to do. And like we said, outside of Italy, uh, if you're thinking focaccia, you're probably thinking of the Ligurian style. It's a leavened flatbread made with a high hydration dough, meaning a super wet dough. Lots of olive oil, coarse salt, uh, usually baked in a rectangular pan and cut into squares. Toppings are usually very sparse compared to compared to pizza and uh, fresh rosemary and other herbs, uh, either in the dough or as a topping or both are very common. Uh, and it's similar to pizza Bianca, but unlike uh, pizza, focaccia is left to rise after you pan it and is usually dimpled with the fingers for more interesting texture and to give the oil like a place to pool and uh, add some contrast. So you say uh, unlike pizza, focaccia is left to rise after being put in the pan. So the pizza instead, would pizza Bianca would be stretched out. Yeah, like stretched out dough. and then it goes okay. right into the oven. Yeah. Okay, great. So, so that's why focaccia has like more and bigger holes than pizza typically. Is focaccia, is it thought of as a standalone food stuff the way that pizza is? Like as a whole meal, you know, people put sandwiches on focaccia and it's not not just an American innovation. It's uh, it's something that's done in Italy also. So like a, a focaccia sandwich could certainly be a whole meal or focaccia with like hearty toppings, mm-hmm. I guess. But I think I think it's, it's more of like a bread you eat with something for the okay. most part. Okay. All right. Well, so are there other, are there like regional variations? Like you mentioned that there are these different names for what is essentially the same or a similar thing. Do they also vary in terms of flavor or general ingredients? Do they ever? So this is all going to be based on like stuff I found on Wikipedia and on a website called tasteatlas.com. So in Southern Italy, focaccia is often made with durum wheat flour um, and topped with tomatoes or potatoes. Like uh, potatoes on focaccia, I think would be really good. I don't think I've ever had that, but like uh, potato pizza is certainly good. In Venice, there is a cake called focaccia veneziana, which is a Venetian panettone. It has nothing to do with the flatbread whatsoever, but got the same name somehow. And I, and I was thinking like this, this like kind of scratched an itch in my mind that, uh, or like raised an itch, what it caused an itch. Seems like it. I don't know. Did it generate a welt? It, it generated a, a mind welt. Um, <laughs> and uh, like, I feel like there are other things like this where something is called by the name of another food that it isn't like how gingerbread is either a cookie or a cake, but it's not really a bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's the best one I could come up with. Do you have any short shortbread? Shortbread. It's it sweet is short breads. sweet breads. There you go. Talk about throwing diners off off the trail, off the trail, off the train. Wait, sorry, I, I interrupt you. Who's getting thrown off a train? Oh, mama? Well, like sweetbreads. I mean, Thro- yeah, talk can- about throwing mama from the train. <laughs> 
Was that Danny DeVito? Danny DeVito and uh, uh, Anne Ramsey and someone else. Yeah, I, I watched that movie a ton of times when I was a kid. I really liked it. Okay, hold on. So uh, moving moving on. I, I'm tired of the sweetbreads joke. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> okay, go on. Stuffed focaccia is very popular, especially as celebration food. So in Calabria, there's an Easter focaccia, uh, according to Tate's Taste Atlas, made with a combination of flour, yeast, lard, dry, spicy sausage bits, hard-boiled eggs, provolone cheese, pork rinds, butter, and black pepper. That sounds like something. Wow. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to link to the, the Tate's Atlas article because it has eight regional focaccia variations, and I'd really only heard of one of them. And all of them pretty much sounded good. So like uh, focaccia messinese from Messina, topped with anchovies, tuma cheese, which I assume is similar to what you would call a tome in, in French, uh, curly endive and tomatoes. Oh, wow. I bet, your, I bet your dad would have liked that one because he was an endive man. He was. Uh, he was, yeah. In Tuscany, uh, it's called uh, schiacciata, um, which is not particularly different from Ligurian focaccia, but there's like a grape variation that's uh, that's made during grape season called uh, schiacciata aluva, where you plop fresh grapes into the holes in the bread and sprinkle it with sugar. Bet that's I think good I've too. seen this. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other sweet focaccia variants? This is uh, the first one we've mentioned. Yeah, let me tell you. There's a focaccia della Befana made for Epiphany in Piedmont. How do you celebrate Epiphany? <laughs> You know, Matthew, I once made a galette des rois, the the like French. Yes, I like, do know what that is. Uh, it's like a disc shaped cake with uh, pastry cream and almond paste that are folded together inside. Not almond paste, frangipane that are folded together inside. And there's a baby in there. Yes. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I love anything that is almond flavored, like that almond extract, frangipane yes, flavor. So anyway, yeah, when I was in my early 20s, I followed Dory Greenspan's recipe from her book, Paris Sweets. And I made that. And and I believe me, it was an epiphany to and remember. The the, uh, the focaccia della Bifana, you hide like an almond inside and whoever gets the almond wins, like wins the religion or, or whatever. Wins the religion. <laughs> you get to be Pope, I, like, I guess. I like the idea that there's an almond in there because, you know, with the baby and stuff, like you could choke on that or you could, you know, like bite the baby. Yeah. But with an almond, you're supposed to bite it. I love to chew on a baby, though. Mm, um, yeah, you're supposed to bite an almond. When, when is Epiphany, do you think? It's in January. <laughs> okay, great. And I remember this because I went to an Episcopal high school. Okay. I had to go to chapel every morning. Twenty minutes in chapel every morning. What kind of what kind of stuff did they did they do? Uh, we always sang uh, a hymn at the beginning, sang a hymn at the end, and there was usually a sermon. Sometimes there was like a performance by students or whatever. That's this but seems like a lot to pack into twenty minutes. I'm impressed. It was a lot to pack into twenty minutes. Oh, and then somebody from student council would read announcements. And when I was on student council, two years, I uh -huh, think. Sure. That I I love surprising no one. announcements. I love reading the announcements sure. in chapel. I also I feel like love you would have been the one saying, songs. like, we got 20 minutes here. Like, we need to do these hymns at 1.5x speed. Move it along. <laughs> but I remember learning about Epiphany, and I remember thinking, like, oh, for some reason it, like, made an impression on me. Like, it seemed like a holiday that somehow made sense to me, whereas, like, a lot of Christian holidays <laughs> don't make sense to me. I mean, not just, that Just because this one was, like, a cake-oriented cake holiday? Yeah. Actually, yeah. I don't even remember now what Epiphany is, but I remember a lesson on Epiphany. Hold on. I'm going to look it up. Is Epiphany a feeling? <laughs> that's, that's what Google, Google offers me one of those. More of a feeling than a holiday. Epiphany, also known as theophany. Ooh. 
in Eastern Christian tradition is a Christian feast day commemorating the Feast of the Magi, the baptism of Jesus, and the wedding at Cana. Cana? Cana? The visit of the Magi to the Christ child, sometimes called Three Kings Day. Okay. Yeah, no, I know those guys. I I do too. Anyway, uh, the traditional date for the feast is January 6th. Yeah, they were um, Um, uh, George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, uh, and... Anyway, oh, uh, and, and Ice oh, Cube, I, wait, here are some things. Here's some popular epiphany customs. Okay, include epiphany singing, chalking the door, whoa, <laughs> having one's house blessed, okay, consuming the three kings cake, winter swimming, and attending church services. I would be fine with doing at least three of those things. I would be happy to do some singing, some winter swimming. And Could the winter swimming be like in a heated pool, or do you have to do like like one of those like polar bear? Like a cold plunge kind of thing. I don't know. (laughs) Have you ever had a polar bear dip? Delicious. (laughs) Okay. Well, how did we get onto this? Oh, oh, I have more memory lane. Oh, Epiphany in in Piedmont. Can something be memory lane if it happened like two months ago? Sure. Wife of the Show, Lori and I went to Tokyo a couple months ago. There was this little teeny tiny bakery. And when I say tiny, it was in a building that was about five feet wide called uh, Le Petit Pain. Perfect name. They uh, only are only open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I think. Possibly only Friday, Saturday. They had like ridiculously uh, limited hours. So I'm like, okay, got to try this. It went in. I got some focaccia. It was olive focaccia. It was delicious. I'm not even really someone who likes olives. It was so good. Oh, I love it. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass is the website that takes you from that thing you've always wanted to learn to learning that thing. Well, and you can learn it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. Oh, come on. Really the best in the world? Yeah. Like, remember I watched those videos with uh, with Steph Curry on, like, you know, how to have proper, like, basketball shooting form and That's stuff. That's right. You And you have been sinking so many threes <laughs> since then. It's ridiculous. I just can't stop. Um, okay. Well, I took a class with Hans Zimmer, film composer. Maybe you've heard <laughs> of movies such as The Lion King. Mm. Maybe you've heard of Gladiator. Yep. The Dark Knight. Dune. He did all of those. I loved And Dune. now he's teaching me how to do it. Like the art of making Has people feel to things to, to teach me. Yeah. Yeah, because because I've got a master class subscription. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, Matthew, I also hear that if you want to take a class, say, from like Alice Waters or Thomas Keller or even like Yotam Orolenghi, you yeah. can get essentially what are like private lessons. Now, granted, they're 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 on masterclass. Yes. But private lessons he d- from right. these people. Right. doesn't come to your house, That's but right. virtually he does. That's right. So masterclass makes all of this possible and you get unlimited access to the very world's best teachers. And you will get 15% off an annual membership right now at masterclass.com slash spilledmilk15. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash spilledmilk15. Masterclass.com slash spilledmilk15. Have you ever been to Seawolf Bakery here in Seattle? I've been to uh, Oxbow, their, their bakery in Montlake. Wait a minute. Seawolf owns a second bakery? I'm pretty sure it's them. Look it up. Oxbow Seawolf. Wait, I, I spelled I spelled Wolf, W-O-R-L-F. Who is that guy from... Uh, <laughs> that guy from Star Trek, right? Okay. Uh, 
Okay. Well, anyway, uh, Seawolf is owned by two brothers, very nice people. And it is on Stone Way, just north of Lake Union. And Seawolf Baker's highly anticipated bagel shop arrives in Montlake. It is them. Oh, okay. I totally missed that that announcement. Anyway, at Seawolf, they have an olive focaccia. I mean, like, God, I'm not very often near Seawolf, but if I ever happen by there, an olive focaccia is what I grab, like yeah. a, a nice like square of it. It fits in like a little paper pastry bag. Yes. And, and the bag gets a little greasy. Just, oh, it's so good. It is a fantastic focaccia. I think that it might have a tiny bit of preserved lemon in it, but not so much that you're like, ooh, there's preserved lemon. <laughs> it's just, I saw it on the list of ingredients on their website and was like, oh, that's interesting. Not not enough to provoke your, your well-known catchphrase, ooh, there's preserved lemon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Okay. Matthew, any any place you like to buy focaccia here in Seattle these days? Well, I may, I've made focaccia twice in the last three days. Wait, you've made it twice? Yeah. No wonder your your apartment is hot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, wow. it doesn't have anything to do with the sun. It's all me. No, it's all you. Okay, well, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be over soon to get my my share of that focaccia. Yeah, please do. I, wait a minute, I, wait, you, wait, you didn't talk about the recipe you used. No, I was just about to. We're, we're, uh, we're transitioning into our recipe segment right now. Okay, here it which, is. Which is called, I've Got the Receipts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so first off, I made the cover recipe from the most recent King Arthur baking catalog, uh, and it was for Taiwanese Bakery Sourdough Focaccia by Joy Wong of Baking with Joy blog. This is a sourdough focaccia, which is kind of an advanced sourdough technique because you are using sourdough and also using like a like there's going to be oil involved and it's high hydration. So it's going to rise slowly for a couple of different reasons. I did not get the rise I was hoping for. I don't blame the recipe. I blame myself. I would let Sylvia develop a little more before making it again and probably okay. throw in a little bit of instant yeast. But the flavors were so good. Mm. So the toppings on this are Chinese sausage, corn kernels, scallions, chili oil, and sesame seeds. That sounds incredible. So delicious. Wow. Okay. Is there, can we link to this recipe? Yeah, it's on the King Arthur website. We'll link to it from the show notes, spilledmilkpodcast.com. So that's the one you made yesterday. What about today? So today I made Bon Appetit's Shockingly Easy No Need Focaccia. And how how did it compare? Well, obviously, this one was made with commercial yeast instead of sourdough. Yeah, and this one this one is like a like Ligurian style, like no. So it actually the recipe does call for like a garlic butter topping, which I skipped because I just wanted like a you know classic plain focaccia with with coarse sea salt, and uh, it was great. The one I would say innovation of this recipe is you generously butter the sheet pan before putting mm. the dough in. And that gives it some more browning on the bottom and makes it less likely to stick, which is a thing that can happen with focaccia. It did not stick. The bottom was beautifully browned. It was great. I highly recommend this recipe. It's super easy. Great. Okay, and you get to dimple cool. it. We didn't really talk about the dimpling. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so tell me about the purpose of the dimpling. Yeah, have you made focaccia? I've not. Um, okay, well, you should because the uh, the description of like, so so before it goes in the oven and some, some recipes have you do it multiple times and this one just like, once before you go in the oven, you dimple it by digging your fingers into it all over to mm -hmm. make uh, for like a more varied texture and like give uh, give the oil places to like sink into the into the dough and like make it pull apart nicely. 
the way that uh, the author of the Bon Appetit recipe says to do it is as if you are vigorously playing a piano, which is the perfect description. So you really, really go at it and like, you know, have your have your fingers like clonk the bottom of the pan. Oh, okay. And uh, it's very um, I'm, satisfying. I'm looking at the recipe now. Yeah. So you skipped this garlic butter. I skipped part. the garlic butter, which I'm sure would be good. Okay. But. Yeah. Okay. And I have one other question. I see that this recipe uses honey in it. Did you use the honey? And and what do you think about this? I just used uh, the equivalent amount of uh, granulated sugar. Okay. I don't think it matters it, one way or another. Is it just to like help the yeast along? Yeah. And I uh, think really, if you left it out, you probably wouldn't notice. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. This is awesome. It's not. I'm it's not one of those uh, sweet uh, celebration focaccias that we've been talking about. You wouldn't. You wouldn't make it for Epiphany. That would probably be a sin. Uh, well, let's just <laughs> stick a little almond in there somewhere. If you stick an uh, almond in anything, it's no longer a sin. Uh, great. Oh, hey, I have a question. Okay. Sometimes I think I have avoided making something like this because I don't have. It, what size pan does this use? This uses a uh, either a half sheet nine pan or a nine by thirteen pan, depending whether you want it like thick and fluffy for sandwiches or thin and crispy for snacking. And I went thin and crispy. So that would be a quarter sheet pan. Half sheet. Oh, a half a sheet. A half sheet pan is is like the bigish one. I mean, like obviously the full sheet pan is the big commercial one, but that doesn't fit in a home right, oven. Right, and a half sheet pan is what we usually use in a home oven. Yeah, is that what you use? That's but what that's I use. Bigger than eighteen by thirteen. Oh, no, it's not. I think it is about eighteen by thirteen. I think you're right. Okay, all right. I don't have a nine by thirteen baking pan with like straight sides and like nice squared off corners. Mine is more like something that you would bake like baked pasta in. Do you think this is a problem? So wait, what what do you, what do you have? Let, let's do an inventory of your pans. So I'm looking at the Bon Appetit recipe and it's got these wonderful like little mini videos on it. Oh, I didn't even watch the mini videos. And she is using a pan that looks like just a really nice aluminum nine by 13 baking pan with straight sides and nice like corners. Looks like it's made for baking a cake, right? And I have that kind of pan for brownies in an eight by eight or a nine by nine, but I don't have a nine by 13 like that. Instead, I have like a ceramic pan. Okay. That'd probably be fine. Do you have a larger baking pan? Not that is square or rectangular, (laughs) except, except rimmed baking sheets. Okay. Half sheet pans. Use the half sheet pan. Well, but then it's going to be thin and crispy. But that's what I did. And it's so good. Okay, fine. Great. Like, unless, okay. unless you are specifically going for sandwiches, I would go the thin and crispy route. Okay. Okay. All right, bro. And if you are specifically um, going for sandwiches, uh, go to Subway. <laughs> okay. Do we have any segments this week? Possibly too many. Let's do it. Okay. You know, we've got a beak of the week. We've got a beak of the week. You've got sharp claws so you can perch up high. You've got those wings because they help you fly. You're such an interesting bird. It's Beak of the Week. This is from listener Matthew, who's also host Matthew. Yeah, I don't think we we accept uh, songs from uh, contributed by listeners for Beak of the Week. We don't we don't accept listener contributed beaks. Oh, uh, what about birds? No, not those either. <laughs> Okay. All right. We get, wait, so wait, Matthew, wait. What? let me clarify. If you are a bird, we will accept your submission about an interesting human that you saw. I can't <laughs> wait for this segment to begin. Matthew, could you please tell me the beak of the week? Okay. So first of all, if you want 
to to visit a very soothing corner of the internet, let me re- recommend whatsthisbird.reddit.com. The way it works is someone posts a photo of a bird, someone immediately replies with a positive ID of the bird with a link to gorgeous photos of it on ebird.org. And uh, as long as you skip anything tagged NSFW, which is like dead birds, you will be very, very happy that you visited this. Fantastic. So okay. I used it for the first time recently. I mean, I'm totally addicted to it and go to it every morning. And like now, now I think I know something about birds and like someone will post something like, oh, that is obviously like a female red winged blackbird, even though like I've never seen such a thing in real life. But I was recently in Bellingham, Washington, and I saw a really weird waterfowl and had it had kind of a white neck and a black body um, mm-hmm. and looked sort of like maybe a weirdly colored Canada goose. And uh, I did some Googling and briefly convinced myself that it was a snow goose, which it absolutely was not. Okay. And so despite my terrible, like long range, you know, phone photo, uh, I posted it to this to this Reddit. And uh, someone immediately identified it as a Muscovy duck, which is an amazingly ugly bird. <laughs> I'm looking it up. Muscovy. Yeah. Aren't these aren't these tasty, though? Very. Yeah. So probably this was, oh, this God, was like a, is a- an escape, oh. escape from a farm or like hybridized with with a bird that escaped from a farm. Oh, what? What do you think is so it's got, you know, I actually really like the foliage of this. It looks like maybe the males are black and white. Maybe the females are more of like a brown color with some green on the feathers. Yeah, but it, it, it has a like a, a fleshy face mask. Yeah, it's got this bright red face thing. What do you think would be the purpose of this um probably it's probably like you know a sexual selection thing like look how healthy i am you can see like my my blood coursing through my face in a healthy way <laughs> that's my guess that sounds good i mean we, okay. we both have biology degrees so whatever we say goes absolutely <laughs> you know we, why we i was have, like, drawn to like my spouse. blood coursing through our face i was drawn because my spouse had a lot of blood coursing through their yeah, face gallons yeah. Okay, here we Several go. Several gallons. Matthew, how many gallons of blood do you think have coursed through my face since we started recording this episode? That is a really good question. Like, I was going to say, like, how do you measure the face? Like, Okay. Well, where does the face begin does, and end? Where does the face begin? That's it. Okay, okay, so go to, go to, like, go to, go to whatsmybird.reddit.com and you'll have a real good time. All right. We have some spilled mail and I'm going to read it. This is from listener Ben. Hi, Molly and Matthew. Something that my partner pointed out to me recently is that I am, in his opinion, overly concerned about the temperature of food I am eating. For example, I will often take my plate back to the microwave mid-meal to reheat food to its proper serving temperature, or will set an alarm to remind myself to take a salad out of the fridge at a specific time if it tastes better at room temperature. My question is, how much does each of you care about the temperature of your food? And are there certain foods that you are more particular about than others. Love the show and can't wait to get your thoughts on this very important topic. You know how when you set an alarm on your phone, you can give it a name? I'm imagining listener Ben like pulling out their phone and it just says salad. And it's like playing that that phone alarm sound. Can I respond first? Please. Uh, listener Ben, I, uh, we are kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, the temperature of my food is extremely important to me. 
very important to me. I have become aware of this in part because my spouse, similar maybe to your partner, doesn't care that much about the temperature of their food. So, you know, like but I'm you the still one love who them makes... because of all the blood coursing through their face. <laughs> Yeah, no, but like I'm aware that, okay, let's say I'll make like a pasta or something that I think you really need to get to the table and eat fast, like cacio e pepe or something that begins cooling and congealing instantly. Yeah. My spouse doesn't give a fuck. And I am slowly learning, very slowly, not fast enough to like not take this on that like when I'm like dinner's ready, I can just sit down and eat my perfectly hot cacio e pepe and my spouse can have their congealed version like four minutes yep. later. Could not agree more. Yeah, I feel really strongly about this. Yeah, anything that um, has a tendency to congeal or form a skin. Uh, I would also say like pasta carbonara. I also want my soup to be hot. I want, oh, like yesterday we had some leftover Thai style stir fried beef mm. with basil and chilies. And I had made a fresh pot of rice and we were going to warm up the beef and put it on this fresh hot rice. Well, so that's what I did. But Ash just took their portion of beef straight out of the cold container <gasps> from the fridge and put it on top of the hot rice. And I was like, babe, babe, babe. I was like really dying inside. But they were like, oh, it's fine. The rice will heat it up. Wow. I know. It's shocking. Yeah, no, I am I am on team Ben and Molly also, as you probably know, because like I'm always talking about like how picky I am about room temperature food. But like a thing I will do and like did the other day is like if we're getting delivery or takeout pizza, I will preheat the oven. So that, oh, that when the smart. pizza arrives, the oven is on in case the pizza isn't hot enough for me. I have also like probably like among my most Karen-y moments have been like at a pizza by the slice place. If they didn't heat my slice up enough, I will ask them to put it back in. Yes, you you there, Molly. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think I I developed a little bit of a tick around this when we opened Delancey because there's a dining counter in Delancey that faces the pizza mm -hmm. oven in the kitchen. And Brandon would be working the pizza oven. I was working in the kitchen, but I could see that dining counter. And you can see from the kitchen that if like if the pizza lands in front of people and they're in mid-conversation, often they will just let it keep sitting there while they talk or while they keep eating their salad or whatever. And it's like, oh my God, your pizza is losing crucial textural elements. Yeah, but you can't just like, like you know, accost the customer and tell them how to eat their food unless you're French. So like, I assume that you and Brandon both put on fake French accents and just told the customers to start eating that pizza. Uh, did, where did you get this French thing? I, know, I, was, I was just imagining that... Brandon, Brandon, like telling customers to start eating their pizza. Like, I don't like, I don't like that, how that sounds. But then I imagined like no. a snooty French chef doing it. I'm like, I like this. I can also imagine it being like a New York Italian Absolutely. kind of thing. Yes. Like a, a particular kind of like a sass. Or like one of those like hot dog places where they yell at you. Yeah. Like in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. God, thanks for that great question, listener Ben. Great question, listener Ben. Thank you. Uh, our producer is Abby Circatella. Molly has a wonderful newsletter called I've Got a Feeling that you can get at mollyweisenberg.substack.com. 
And Matthew has a band called Early to the Airport, and they have an EP out. Yeah, it's called uh, Departures. It's on all the services. Please keep listening to it because we're getting close to a thousand streams, which is completely irrelevant and arbitrary, but w- would make me happy to see it happen. You can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you go to everythingspilledmilk.reddit.com, you can you can post a picture of a bird and no one will know what it is. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. I think that was the closing joke. (laughs) Okay, I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Hamsterburton. All right, Matthew, we have a guest in the studio today. Oh, who is it? His name is Gilbert. Okay. A subject matter expert. If we if we ever do like one time we said we were gonna do a dog food episode, we could have we could have Gilbert on as a guest. You know, we could have Gilbert on as a guest for pretty much any episode because Gilbert eats literally we'll eat, we'll everything. Eat literally anything, food or or otherwise. Yep. That's right. <laughs>